People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Welcome to Premier League Insights as we prepare for game week 13 of the season. Back with me again to help inform your predictions is InfoGoal's Jake Osgathorpe. How's it going, Jake? Yeah, not bad, thanks, Ben. We had a, a really successful weekend. Um, obviously, the, the two uh, lays that were put up on this podcast, Manchester United, obviously, to get something against City and then just uh, a much bigger price. The Arsenal failing to beat Burnley, which made it a, a very nice weekend. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're we are looking ahead to the midweek fixtures, but certainly one to to look back on with with fond memories for for info goal. I think the the best round of fixtures we've had since we started this predictions challenge, and as you said, double win with the double chance for info goal. And although Pinnacle managed to get the one correct prediction with that under two point five um, in the Arsenal game, info goal has now got a, a bit of a lead and and maybe one that Pinnacle looked to claw back over the Christmas period, but. We'll have to wait and see, and we need to get into the fixtures to to help with that. And we've gone, Pinnacle's gone with the the Liverpool Tottenham game as the highlight fixture for for midweek for us. What about yourselves? Yeah, going to take the game just a few hours earlier. I think obviously Arsenal are, are, are the massive talking point of the weekend. Their um, catastrophic defeat and the, the downward trend in which they're on, and they play a Southampton team that are faring exactly the opposite. They're flying at the moment up into the top four, playing really well. Um, and you know Arsenal lost the last four uh, league games at the Emirates, and and they now welcome an informed team. So it has to be Arsenal versus Southampton that we look at. Well, I'm intrigued to know where we're going with that one, but we'll we'll start off with our earlier fixtures for the week. Because first up, we've got Wolves versus Chelsea, um, and the the struggles really continue for Wolves, I guess, after they conceded that late penalty against Aston Villa at the weekend. They did. Uh, it's one of the ones I watched. They did seem to have the better of the game and, and limited Villa quite well, but. It does just seem like they're crying out for someone who's going to be able to put away the chances that they create. They're now 13th in the table. It's, it's pretty much in line with their performances this season. They've also got a, a tricky few fixtures coming up as well. So a bit of a worry for them after two really good seasons back in the Premier League. Um, as for Chelsea, I don't think many really saw that loss coming at the weekend after a, an impressive run of performances for them. It was... A game of few chances looking at it and I think it was the, the mistake from Mendy cost them in the end. We've talked a little bit about the the impact that he's had and it, that certainly felt a bit like a, a Kepa moment rather than a Mendy one. But um, one interesting thing as well, and I picked up upon this after you mentioned it on our Champions League pod last week, um, and it's that Chelsea seem to struggle when they, they take that step up and I know they got a good win against Villa in the Champions League, but in the Premier League, they haven't actually won against a team in the top half of the table yet. Now, that's got to be quite worrying. Um, I guess that the positive for them is that Wolves aren't actually in the top half of the table, so should be all right for Chelsea. And, and the odds suggest that they are most likely to get the win. They're priced at 1.729, um, and that gives them a 56% win probability. Wolves a 19% chance of the win with odds of 5.26 and the draw is priced at 3.90, which is it's around about 25% chance. So a good game to start on, Jake. Is there is there any value on offer, do you think? Yeah, I think there's a decent chunk of value, to be honest. I think um, having watched Chelsea lose to Everton and really struggled to make the mark in that game from an attacking standpoint, it, you know, this is not a very good game for them. Uh, Wolves obviously have been really impressive over the last couple of years since returning to the Premier League. We've spoke very highly of them on this podcast, um, sixth in our XG table last season and, and the season before. Um, this time around, it hasn't really started as well as many would have expected. Um, but you know, you look at the defeats in the last six matches. They've come against um, Leicester, who are obviously in the top four, Liverpool, who are joint top of the table, and Aston Villa, who, are, who themselves are absolutely flying. And I've got to say, they were unlucky in that game. Um, against Villa. It was just a late penalty that, that was the difference, really. Other than that, they conceded next to nothing and um, chances equating to around 0.64 expected goals if you exclude that penalty. So they were the better team on that day. Uh, they, they did, once again, struggle to carve out big opportunities, which is something that we're seeing quite a lot of from Wolves um, in recent weeks. 
And that is a bit of a surprise given the, you know, the, the shift to a, a 4-3-3 as opposed to a, a back five. And um, and the reason behind that being they wants to be a bit more attack-minded and, and try and create a bit more chances, take the game to the opposition as opposed to sitting back and counter-attacking. So, um, yeah, it, at this moment in time, it looks as though Nuno's experiment hasn't worked. There's still a long left, uh, time left to go in the in the season, though, and I'm pretty sure that Nuno will have that down as a, as a very long-term project. And um, it, it's not going to... You know that that changing system is not going to benefit them overnight. It might be a case of a season, a season and a half, in which they they start to click and find the gear in that in that front. And obviously missing their their, their main striker and talisman, Raúl Jiménez, who's is a massive blow for them. Who he would be the you know the focal point to that four three three system, linking the play up and and obviously being a body in the box, which is something that they didn't have against Aston Villa. So um, yeah, they're, they're an interesting team, Wolves. Um, I did speculate ahead of the game at Anfield that I think they would have been better served playing in the back three in that match um, and trying to you know hold Liverpool at bay. I think the same about this match here. I think if they go four three three, same as they have done in the last four matches, uh, I think Chelsea could have a, a pretty comfortable victory. I, I would be tempted if I was Nuno just to revert back to that back five for a little bit of extra solidity and just try and get a point on the board, um, try and frustrate Chelsea, which is something that they have managed to do in, in recent years. As for Chelsea, yeah, it was all going great guns um, up until that that game against Everton, and I don't, I don't really know what happened really. The you know it wasn't as though they had um, a midweek game in the Champions League in which they had to play a full strength team. They rotated, they rested a few key players, um, and still really struggled to make any impact on Everton's defence. Uh, it was just one point zero four expected goals created in that game, with just the one big chance falling to Kurt Zuma in the first half um, that, that was ultimately saved by Pickford. But yeah, it was a it was a worrying performance. But it's a performance I've sort of seen coming. Um, you know, we, we've spoken a lot about the fact that Chelsea's attacking process isn't as impressive as it has been, uh, or it, as it was last season. Last season, they averaged around two point two expected goals for per game. This season, um, that's down to one point eight seven, which is still respectable, but it has been boosted massively by that four point four against Leeds. Um, on the whole, they have uh, they have not, not reached the, the heights in attack as, the, as the, that they did last season and. Um, the only reason they've been picking up the points that they have uh, has been because of clinical finishing, and that that's something that isn't really sustainable over a, a long period of time. So, if they keep kept creating at the similar sort of rate, it was always a chance that the goals were going to dry up, and ultimately they did on that occasion. They failed to score. Um, notably, all of the or quite a few of the struggles this season have come away from home. I think the the obviously went to Manchester United and drew at Old Trafford. Um, the defeat to Everton. I think they've, they've drawn another one away from home. So, you know, it, it's not exactly plain sailing for Frank Lampard's team. And as you said, when they come up against a better team, they do tend to struggle to um, to get a win or, or any points on the board at all. So it will be interesting to see how they deal with Wolves. I know, like you said, technically they're not um, in the top half, but based on our, our forecast table, we are forecasting them to finish in the top half, um, suggesting that this could be a real potential banana skin for Chelsea and... Um, you know, Frank Lampard will be well aware of the transition um, with Wolves. The fact that the likes of Pedence and, and Pedro Neto can, and Traore can break with, with fantastic pace um, in those transitions and cause them problems. So he may well take a more cautious approach, similar to what we saw against the likes of Spurs um, and the likes of Manchester United, in which games in which they, they really didn't want to lose. So, um, you know, all that being said, I, I just think that Chelsea are a little bit too short for my liking in this one. Um, like you said, a 56% chance of winning this on the market. This game was played last season um, with Wolves, you know, operating that trusty back five system. I would imagine Chelsea would be odds against, uh, maybe even bigger than that to come here and get a win. So I am surprised to see them so short. The model prices them up at 43% chance. So nowhere near the, you know, the, the market's price. And ultimately that means that I have to to put Wolves up to get a point here and I, I don't think that's beyond the realms of possibility I think that they have shown enough in recent weeks to be able to um, cause Chelsea through a few problems and ultimately at the core of that Wolves team is still that solid um, hard to beat uh, rough and ready Nuno Espirito Santo team uh, and I think that the, this is a potential banana skin for Chelsea who could ultimately uh, drop points for the second consecutive game. And we're now sort of into a third of the way through the season, I mentioned there about the, the Wolves have kind of they're they're a little bit off where they were last season in terms of league position and performances. Do you think two questions for these two sides? Then do you think 
Chelsea are going to finish in the top four. And whereabouts did you think, where would you pitch Wolves from now until the remainder of the season? Where can you see them finishing up? Yes, I think Chelsea will finish in the top four. Um, I think that their squad depth will ultimately um, you know, be one of their strengths throughout the season, being able to call upon so many different quality players um, when they have injuries and build up a fixtures. Um, and Wolves, at the start of the season, was expecting them to finish between 6th and 7th. Um, but now I think anywhere between 6th and 10th. I think that they are they are still a top t- top 10 team in this league. Um, and, you know, I, they, while they haven't had the, the best of starts in terms of um, performances, results-wise, haven't been bad. They've picked up 17 points so far uh, from their 12 matches. They've, they've played Liverpool. They've played Manchester City. Uh, they've already got Leicester away out of the way. They've already played Southampton, who are obviously on a bit of a tear at the minute. West Ham, who are playing really well. They've got those... Uh, David Moyes' team out of the way, um, away from home as well. So they've, they've had some tough fixtures when you look back on it. Um, and obviously, Aston Villa are playing really well themselves. So, you know, the, the easy games to come for Wolves. And I think we'll start to see them picking up points at a, a steadier rate. And I do still think they're a top half team. Right, well, on to Manchester City versus West Brom. And I don't know about you, Jake, but with, with so much, so many games and so much action going on at the moment, I've got a, I've got a cherry pick the, the games that I'm allowed to watch, shall we say. And the Manchester Derby was one of those this weekend, and I, I definitely regret picking it. Um, we've said a fair bit about City this season, that the fact that they have improved at the back, but they've massively dropped off in attack as well. I think the Jesus chance was the only real big chance that they created against Manchester United. Now, they did limit them to 0.66 expected goals, but you have to feel like if this was the City of a year or two ago, you, you would have expected them to create a lot more chances and, and go out and win this the, the kind of game that we saw at the weekend. Um, we have seen a couple of good games, I guess, against like Burnley and Fulham. This could be one of those ones here, especially when you consider how poor West Brom's defence have been. They're, they're the worst in the league by quite some way, a 24.4 expected goals against. Um, so that's a rate uh, uh, over two expected goals per game. They've, they've conceded pretty much bang on that as well with the 25 goals in, in 12 games. Um, it's not They haven't been as bad as they were maybe at the start of the season in that game against like Newcastle. Crystal Palace one was a little bit weird with the, the early sending off, but the Newcastle one, it's still one game. It's, it's still against a pretty poor attack. And this is a completely different matchup. Um, City are about as, as short as you're going to see in any Premier League match, 1.109. Um, so that gives them an 88% chance of getting three points. West Brom get a, a massive 3% chance of a win with their odds of 28.28. Uh, and the draw, if anyone does fancy it, the draw is available at 11.11. Um, and that gets sort of eight nine percent according to those odds. Betters are are all for the the over three point five here. It's it's probably geared towards a four or five nil home win. It's it's hard to see anything but a city win, I guess. But is there anything in terms of the the margin of victory, maybe handicap or the goals market? Do you think here, Jake, or is it just a, a stay away where it's so one sided? Yeah, I, I was looking at it being a stay away, but having flicked through the you know the models, different markets that we're offering and, and calculating, actually looking at the the goals line might be worth um, you know a little bit of a, a second glance. Let's say, um, obviously, we, we've we've spoken pretty much weekly about Manchester City's issues in attack and the fact that they are. Still struggling um, to carve out really good chances, whether that is by design or whether that is just um, a result of a, of a busy schedule, a short preseason, and um, you know the miss, missing Aguero and Jesus for long periods. But uh, it was a case again against Manchester United. I don't. I'm the same as you. I have to cherry pick my games as well. Um, and I sat down to watch that game, hoping for a you know really entertaining, a, a, a you know a really hard fought Manchester derby, but. Um, as Roy Keane said, it, there was just a lot of hugging at the end and uh, shaking of hands and being happy with a point, clearly. And um, I think both teams probably were. Uh, another clean sheet for Manchester City. That's their sixth in a row in all competitions. Um, and Manchester United coming off the back of a Champions League exit needed a, something, really, anything. Um, and, you know, ultimately... It was no points lost because Liverpool, Spurs obviously also drew. Chelsea got beat. Um, so... You know, they didn't lose any ground, but they didn't make up any ground either, either team. And, and I think that they were just sort of feeling each other out for, for the majority of the game. And 
um, ultimately led to a very disappointing match. But as I was saying about Manchester City's process, in terms of attacking numbers, they're averaging 1.74 expected goals for per game this season. And last season, they're averaging 2.7. So, it's you know, they've, they've lost almost um, one expected goal per game on average this time around um, based on their underlying numbers. And defensively, they were pretty good last season. They allowed around 1.2 expected goals against per game. And, and this season, it's 1.06. So they've improved marginally on, in defence. Um, but they've seen a big drop-off in attack. And that, that is massively concerning. And, um, you know, especially against better teams. And they came into that Manchester derby uh, on the back of, um, you know, thumping victories against Fulham uh, and Burnley in the league. Obviously, they've hammered their, their Champions League group, as we discussed in the Champions League podcast. But... Um, yeah, it, it's it, it's slightly worrying the fact that they're not playing at the levels and, and the tempo that they, they have done in recent years. And, and that, to me, suggests that this could potentially be um, not a closer game than many expect, but that the scoreline might not be as um, as high as, as people might expect. Um, you know, it, City of last season or the season before would, would go into this game and you would expect them to at least put four past West Brom. That's not the case this time around, in, in my opinion, anyway. I think... Could see this being maybe two nil, three nil at best. Um, West Brom, as you you know quite rightly said, are, are just pretty just poor at the minute. Uh, have been all season long. They're the worst attacking team in the league, the worst defensive team in the league. They sit rock bottom of our XG table. Um, they are an absolute shambles um, compared to the rest of the Premier League. Um, and you know, they, they, while they did put a decent enough display um, out against Newcastle, they were rightly beaten in the end, um, continuing to concede. Uh, a couple of good chances per game and and obviously struggling to create, as I keep mentioning. So um, they're not going to trouble Manchester City from an attacking standpoint. Um, it's literally just a case of damage limitation. At the moment, um, their goal difference is, is, I think, the second worst in the league behind Sheffield United's. But uh, if they get hammered here, that could easily um, count to an ex- as an extra point when it comes to the end of the season. So they'll want to keep the scoreline tight. I think that they'll... They'll just sit back in a, you know, in a, probably a back back ten and, and try and defend and keep this um, low scoring. So I think the, I think City might have some troubles breaking them down, but when they do, I think the floodgates will open and um, but it might be a case of a low scoring first half and then a couple more goals in the second half. Um, I'm looking at un, under three and a half goals as a as an interesting bet. Uh, the model had, actually has. Um, you know, decent chunk of value in, in back in the under three and a half, fifty-six um, percent chance of unders based on the model, and, and the markets around um, forty-nine, fifty percent chance of under three and a half. So there's a decent bit of margin there um, to, to side with a, a relatively low-scoring game. If you wanted a little bit more security, under four point five goals is also a decent bit of value, albeit at a short price, um, looking at around one point four um, for under four point five. But if you do, if you wanted to combine that with a City win and under 4.5, you might get a, a, around a 1.55, 1.6 shot, which um, the model was, does suggest is, is a decent value play. But um, if I was going to go anywhere in this one, it would be under 3.5 goals. Well, just one, I'm, I'm sure people are probably listening to this and the, the numbers are, are clear as day for everyone to see that, that City aren't as good going forward as they were last season. We might see improvements from that. And it's it's easy to say that, oh, Aguero isn't there. So, so surely that's kind of, part of the reason for the drop off but is it do you think it's to do with the having that sort of spearhead I mean Gabriel Jesus is a he's a good player he's sort of I mean top four top six he would feature in most sides maybe not as a starting forward but you have got Sterling De Bruyne Mares, Bernardo Silva's barely played Phil Foden kind of in and out Torres more of like an impact player the talent is there to create chances. Is it that there's no direct outlet at the very top of the pitch? What, what do you think it is? Um, I think I just think it's a, it's a more cautious shift from Pep Guardiola. He's, he's gone from playing. Um, well, that, the weekend game was is a prime example. He's gone from playing a four three three with one holding midfield player um, and the likes of David Silva last season and De Bruyne on either side um, to playing a four two three one with. I think it was Mares and Sterling either side of De Bruyne in in what was effectively a front uh, a three behind a one, two holding midfielders there, Fernandinho and uh, and Rodri at the weekend, and that's effectively made them more defensive. It means that they're not getting as many um, as many players in the attacking third. Um, they're they're not getting their overloads that they used to do, especially when it comes to transitioning the football. They're not pressing as high, um, and all of that basically means they're not winning the ball high high up the pitch and having to build from the back as opposed to building from the final third, where which is where they're at the very best. Um, I, I don't know. I think 
he's a smart guy, he's Pep Guardiola. How many titles has he won? I just wonder if there's maybe something else going on behind the scenes there that he's perhaps knows that this is going to be a, um, a long, a, you know, a, a different kind of season. And maybe he's just holding a little bit back and not running his players into the ground as, as potentially some other teams are. Just trying to save them for, for the latter, latter end of the season where obviously titles are won. So I'm not too sure. The way that which they're playing, it, it doesn't really fill me with confidence that they're actually going to improve as the season progresses from a process standpoint. Um, they've been so hit and miss in terms of the creating of the chances, but... Um, I think more, most importantly, the fact that they have tightened up slightly in defence. Um, I mean, before the game uh, at the weekend, there was only, I think, I think they conceded six non-penalty big chances um, before that game. That's still at six because obviously Manchester United didn't, uh, didn't create any. Um, but yeah, six non-penalty big chances conceded in um, in what, what is now 11 matches. So they are limiting the, um, you know, the, the amount of chances that they're conceding and the uh, the quality of chances as well. And I think if they do that, they're obviously not going to lose too many matches. And it could well be a season where the team with the fewest losses um, ultimately prevails. And, you know, we saw them last season. They had a lot of fingers pointed at them for their performances defensively, being so open at the back and uh, being so easy to play against, especially on the counter-attack. And obviously that's been addressed. Uh, we've seen that against Manchester United. Manchester United, all they wanted to do was counter-attack, but they didn't even have any, the opportunity to do that with the two screens in front of the back four. Um, yeah, they're, they're going through a bit of a transition period, I think, in terms of trying to find a balance. But um, at the moment, they're just going to be a really tough team to beat and potentially a tough team to watch. Right, we'll move on to our, our next game. We've got Arsenal versus Southampton. And I've, just kind of winced a little bit there as I, I looked down the the fixture list. I'm not I'm not really too sure where to begin with this one. Um, look, with last season there was a lot of Arsenal bashing on the on this podcast. It was objective. It, it came with good reason, and I think a lot of people, including some people who don't actually support Arsenal, really struggled or failed to see just how bad things have gotten recent years now. At this point, I feel kind of bad for for sticking the boot in, but they've they've just looked absolutely terrible. And obviously, now that that's kind of the the common perception or, or people's realization as well. Anyway, four losses and a draw in their last five Premier League games, just one goal scored in that period. Four losses already this season at home. It seems to just be one dimensional, uh, a lack of creativity, a, a lack of discipline as well, which has cost them in a couple of games or, or could have cost them. You never really know. Um, I'm not saying they're in a releg- relegation fight, but I'd, I'd be certainly surprised to to see Arsenal get into the, the top half of, of the table this season, especially if they carry on playing the way or, or what we've seen from them. Um, Southampton certainly aren't struggling themselves. We, we said at the start of the season, we expected big things from them. They're delivering in terms of their results. They're, they're fourth in the table at the moment. It's still pretty bunched together, though. They are two points off the top, but they're also three points off eight. So so a few more games and, until we can really sort of read too much into that. But for them, it's the performances haven't been quite as good as the results maybe suggest. And they've they got through a bit of a sticky patch. They've now got Danny Ings coming back. So we could maybe expect some more improvement from them and really see them hang around in, the, in that top top sort of four six for for the start of the new year as well but the market still favors Arsenal for this um they have a 43 percent chance of getting a home win personally I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised to see Southampton get just a 29 percent win probability at 3.36 um total wise it's, it's pushing 2.5 and 3 but the under is favored by betters in this one uh is it Rinse and repeat, Jake, until the until the market picks up and, and acknowledges how bad Arsenal have got, or are Southampton still too short to, to maybe see as a value play? What are you going with on this one? Um, yeah, well, it was interesting looking at this game yesterday because before Arsenal's game against Burnley, um, Arsenal were priced up at about seventeen to twenty to win this game. Drifted way out to around five to four. Um, probably will continue to drift as well. So there has been a massive market shift based on the, on that one defeat to Burnley. And um, obviously, it isn't just a one defeat. They're, they've lost four Premier League home games in a row, which is um, you know a really, really, really bad run by Arsenal standards. And Southampton are, are red hot at the moment. So can understand the drift. Uh, arguably hasn't drifted enough. <laughs> I think um, basically what, the, what these odds are suggesting is, um, is that, that Southampton on a neutral ground would... 
maybe not be favourites, but be very close to being favourites. It would almost be a um, a thirty three point three split across the board, um, and it's hard to argue, really. Um, you know, we we've been talking about it on this podcast for for weeks and months and. Uh, years, I can't remember how many times we've been doing this. How many times? Uh, how long we've been doing this podcast? But um, Arsenal's decline is 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 showing no sign of stopping, effectively, um, and it is a decline. It, it, it ultimately is. Ever since Arsene Wenger left the club or was forced out of the club, the underlying numbers have uh, have tumbled drastically to that of a, a bottom half team, and that's exactly where they are right now. It's exactly where they deserve to be, uh, and it's exactly where they probably will end up this season unless something changes. So. Um, it is extremely worrying from their their point of view, and I still think there is a little bit of juice left in opposing them. If I'm being honest, I think the model's got a 41% chance of an Arsenal win. I think you said the the market's a 43%. So, um, yeah, there's a small bit of value there in opposing them, getting on side with Southampton. Um, and you only have to look at the you know the underlying numbers. I'll just read them out now. Overall, this season, Arsenal averaging 1.28 expected goals for per game. Um, and allowing 1.32 expected goals against per game. So they're still uh, operating a negative uh, XG process, which is basically, yeah, what I said before, a, a bottom half team. Um, it, it, it's hard to find any positives. You look at the, the you know, the non-penalty big chances created and conceded. Um, only, I think only Fulham... Sheffield United and West Brom have conceded more non-penalty big chances than Arsenal this season. So all the talk around them being tighter at the back and more difficult to play against is a load of nonsense. Um, and you know, I think that was it wasn't exactly brought to the um, to the fore against Burnley. Arsenal probably were actually unfortunate not to get anything from the game. They created enough chances in the first half uh, and just before the red card to, to deserve to be at least one nil up. But um, that's the first time in which they've actually won the XG battle um, quite considerably in a very long time in the Premier League. So, um, and it came against a team that was in the bottom three. I think that's their level at the moment. Um, you know, you don't want to stick the boot in too much. But uh, when I was writing my preview about well, ultimately advising to lay Burnley, I basically pointed out the fact that that Burnley had, lo- had only lost one of the last four matches. Um, and the, the games in which they didn't lose were against Brighton, Crystal Palace and Everton. Uh, and I basically just wrote the comment that I think that Arsenal are around the same level as those three teams and probably a little bit behind a couple of them as well, uh, especially Everton at the moment. So that shows you the level that we're at. Southampton obviously flying at the moment. Um, as you said, that they are slightly over, overperforming by, um, well, I say slightly, in a, from an attacking standpoint, they are overperforming drastically. 24 goals from chances equating to 14.9 expected goals. So um, some really hot finishing on their on their part. And that's not something that, that can be said for, for last season in particular. And you remember up to about game week 20, we were banging the drum for Southampton being one of the better teams in the league. Um, and then all of a sudden turned around when they started putting the chances away. This time they're not creating the chances at the same rate, but still relatively impressive um, nonetheless in recent weeks. Hammered Sheffield United very comfortably, and uh, I think having Danny Ings back is is massive for them. I know he didn't get on the score sheet in that game, but um, he just provides an absolute threat, and and ultimately defenders are scared of, of facing him. And he's definitely one to watch in the goal scorer markets for this one if he if he gets the nod, averaging 0.5 expected goals per average match. Um, but yeah, like I said, Southampton aren't really creating too many good chances; they're just being clinical. Arsenal, they're not creating too many chances at all, full stop. And um, I've, I've re- done my Premier League review this uh, today. And one of the things that's mentioned quite a lot is how, how cross-heavy Arsenal are. And um, they racked up 35 crosses against Wolves, 44 against Tottenham, 38 against Burnley. Um, the completion percentage over those four, uh, those three matches was 16%. So only, only 16% of the crosses are actually finding the man. Um, and that, to me, says that Arsenal are running out of ideas in attack. They're just simply lumping the ball into the box and hoping to get a lucky bounce or a ricochet rather than um, you know putting a cross on the head of, of someone who's actually got a chance of winning a header. What do those three teams that they played have in common? Um, Burnley, Spurs and Wolves, they've all got defenders who will just happily sit there all day and head the ball out. Um, but Arsenal would still just lumping that ball in there and Southampton fall into that mould as well. You think of their their back two partnership of Bednarek and Vestergaard, they're about six foot 12 man mountains that will happily just stand there and 
um, head the ball out. So it'll be interesting to see what approach Arsenal take from that standpoint. If it does get to 60, 70 minutes and, and, it is, and they're still struggling for a goal, whether they do revert to, to hitting long balls into the box and um, you know aimless crossing effectively. But it is hard to make a case for anything good about Arsenal right now. And like I said, the value is opposing uh, Arsenal, getting on side with Southampton. But I also like the angle of uh, under 2.5 goals, given the fact that Southampton have issues in attack themselves. They're not creating uh, big chances regularly. Um, and Arsenal themselves are also struggling in attack. So under two and a half, um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a decent price. You're looking at just over even money. Uh, and the model makes it odds on at 55% chance. So potentially, um, you know, narrow Southampton away win. Could they be the fifth team in a row to go to the Emirates and win? Yeah, and I, I should have mentioned that it was the, the info goal highlight game. So the predictions do need a, or mean a little bit more for, for these kind of ones. And uh, under 2.5 of you've gone there is 2.07 at Pinnacle. Now, Pinnacle could maybe go a little bit adventurous here and try and change things up to bridge that gap. We are staying safe. And, and you mentioned there about taking on Arsenal. And instead of just going for the Southampton win, we're, we're covering with the double chance on Southampton or draw around about 1.65 for that one. So... An interesting one to see how we get on. And I think here, Southampton, it's, it's probably a case of they're not the greatest defence in the league. I think they're running at about 1.37 expected goals against per game. But Arsenal have just struggled against anyone that's sort of a top half defensive process. So we'll have to wait and see what, what happens with that one. But we will we'll move on to our, our next game, which is Leeds versus Newcastle. Um, Newcastle seemed to be out of the woods with the, the COVID stuff that was going on. The squad didn't seem to be too impacted by the recent events with the the game against West Brom, not too many dropping out of the squad. I think it was some Maximan was the only real absentee of note. It wasn't exactly convincing, uh, the win, or as convincing as it, as it could have been after that quick start. But, but three points in the end, they're definitely going to want to improve and, and get a little bit better for this fixture, though, because it's, it's, it's another step up against Leeds. But Leeds haven't actually looked that great against, or they didn't look that great against West Ham. They looked pretty poor in the the game against Chelsea and quite a few people were expecting big things from them this season and a lot of people are beginning to realize that perhaps breaking into the the top half is it's going to take a lot more than what we saw in the championship from them last season and and really the season before as well the market is also kind of flip-flopped on Leeds a, a little bit this season they're short here um odds of 1.787 so they're, they're pushing 55 percent win probability Newcastle given just a, a 21, 21% chance of, of the win for them. Um, and the draw is rated at a 24% chance with odds of 4.65 and, and 4.01 is the, the odds on Newcastle there. I think Leeds have, have struggled a little bit of late. Newcastle haven't really been over, overly impressive for the, the whole of the campaign so far. I'm not sure whether the market should be this big on Leeds. What what does the info gold model make of it, Jake? Yeah, that last point that you said there, that's that's exactly how we feel. We we don't think that Leeds deserve to be odds on. Um they've been impressive, don't get me wrong, um, in you know, the occasional game, but over the course of the season they've they've not really they've not really put together a sustained run of uh, of good performances uh, from an underlying numbers standpoint. The expected goal differences Minus two point six after twelve matches. That's below the likes of Arsenal, who we've just been talk, talking about. Um, it's below Wolves as well, who uh, are a team that again we expect big things from. So um, yeah, there are question marks still about Leeds. The defensive process is a massive concern, and obviously the game against West Ham highlighted a major weakness, which is defending set pieces. Uh, Newcastle they possess some real threats from set pieces as well. So. It'd be interesting to see if Leeds do anything to combat that. Um, I think that the week uh, on Friday night they started with a back two, uh, or sorry, a centre half pairing of Luke Eilin and, and uh, Liam Cooper because of injuries. They could really do with a um, you know a big towering player in there to um, win a few headers and, and sort of put that weakness um, to bed almost. But yeah, uh, this is a, a game of two contrasting styles: a team that likes to, to keep the football and press high, and a team that likes to play without the football and sit deep. So it'll be interesting to see which way this goes. Um, as for Newcastle, obviously, they, you know, they got a win. We, we expected them to beat West Brom. Um, overall, their process isn't bad. 1.13 expected goals for, 1.44 against. It's an improvement on last season. But, um, you know, they still sit down in the bottom five in our expected goals table based on expected points. And they're still posting a negative expected goal difference of minus 3.3, which is... 
um, you know, only better than the bot than the current bottom four. So that kind of shows you their level. I don't see this being a, a massively entertaining game for goals. I think Newcastle sitting back will ultimately mean um, you know very few, very little goal mouth action uh, on their part, and, and Leeds may struggle to break down this low block. So under two and a half is the angle that, that I'm going to take in this. Uh, the model calculating a 53% chance of the unders. Markets at um, around 48%, 49%. So there is a decent chunk of value there to be had uh, on backing on 2.5. I know the first thing that people think of when anyone mentions Leeds is, you know, crazy games, goals at both ends. But the model is suggesting that at some point that's going to come to an end and, and under 2.5 is where is the best play given Newcastle's likely setup. Well, now we've got Leicester versus Everton and... The odds for this one, they actually have it pretty close. Pinnacle has Leicester at 2.22, Everton at 3.36 and the draw at 3.64. And and that equates to a, a 44% chance for Leicester, 29% for Everton and 27% for the draw. Both of them are coming into this off the back of big wins. Leicester, I mean, they, they swept aside Brighton really. And Brighton have had a good start in terms of their underlying process, but, but Leicester made light work of it seemingly. And a deserved result, but perhaps maybe a little bit of a flattering scoreline, judging by the XG figures from the match. Meanwhile, Everton's um, home win at Chelsea was was also, I mean, you have to say deserved with the penalty in there. It was obviously a close game, wasn't the greatest to watch, but they they certainly needed that desperately. And, and maybe it's a, a chance for them to start looking up after really dropping away after a decent start. It, it could be an interesting one, Jake. We, we know Leicester are capable of a good start, but it was around this point or a couple of weeks later that they started that almighty crumble last season. Do you reckon they're, they're good value for the win here? What do you think of this matchup? Yeah, I think this is a, one of the most interesting games of the um, of this game week. Leicester, 2.22. We make them slight value um, based on, on that, that price. We're making them around 2.17, 46% chance of winning. Um, I quite like it myself. I think the, I think the, the matchup suits them. Everton obviously played a really good game against Chelsea. Um, in you know, I think they, they're still operating that back three system. Well, no, they switched switched to a back four in that game, but it was it was a back four with four centre halves. Um, I think that if Leicester are playing at the very best and Everton do operate that same back four, I think that the, that Leicester could have quite a bit of joy in getting in the gaps and um, you know t- uh, they'll probably fancy the chances in those one on one battles down the flanks. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be it's it's going to be interesting. I think the main key for me, anyway, is is Everton's injuries and and whether the likes of Hammers um, will be back fit for this, or maybe even Andre Gomez, Seamus Coleman is is he going to be available to sort of provide a little bit of a natural right back position uh, as opposed to Holgate, who's naturally a centre half. Um, my, my my you know I think it'll be a little bit too soon for all of them, but um, you know what we saw from them. From an attacking standpoint against Chelsea, wasn't exactly brilliant. Just 0.5 expected goals um, created apart from that one penalty. So, um, yeah, not too sure what we're going to get. Everton will probably play on the back foot again. Leicester will likely take the game to them. Um, And I think that could be a real problem for Everton because I do think this Leicester team have got enough um, about them in terms of creativity in and around Jamie Vardy to be able to cause them a few problems. You know, Madison's there. I think Perez played at the weekend. They've got Harvey Barnes on the bench as well. Um, Chensing under, we've not seen quite a lot of, but he's he's another very technical player that can um, you know slide in that number ten or um, just off the right hand side or left hand side and cause a few problems. So I think that this could be a good game for Leicester um, to potentially well keep pace at the top of the table and you know depend on how the Tottenham Liverpool game finishes. They could be top by the end of the game week if they get a win and, and Spurs and Liverpool draw at Anfield. So. Um, yeah, the value is back in Leicester to get the win. Their process at home this season uh, has been, it's been okay. 1.3 expected goals, uh, 1.2 expected goals against. But overall, they've, um, they're posting a process that we would expect to see from a top eight side. And uh, Everton, defensively, they still really suspect 1.6 expected goals against per game. Uh, I think only, yeah, only West Brom, Leeds, Fulham and Sheffield United have allowed more expected goals than Everton this season. So they're a vulnerable team and, and Leicester can take full advantage. And um, the only other angle I'd potentially throw in there is, is looking at under two and a half goals. Odds against um, on the market, the model makes it odds on uh, 52% chance. So 
that's something to bear in mind as well. I think that, like I said, Everton will play on the back foot. The onus will be on Leicester to break them down. And like the Leeds Newcastle game, I could see it being, I could see this being potentially uh, low scoring. Well, now we've got Fulham versus Brighton in our in our next game, and, and I mean Fulham put in a, I'm going to call it a great performance against Liverpool, considering what we've we've seen from them in some games this season. And although the XG figures didn't really suggest or did suggest, sorry, that Liverpool were the better team over the 90 minutes, I'm. I'm not too sure I can I can really agree with that after watching the game. It was a, a fortunate handball penalty to get them back into it. Now, they did dominate the game and certainly in the second half, but they didn't really manage to create much. And Fulham could have really put the game to bed in the in the first half straight away. And a couple of great saves from Alisson. I think the, the VAR decision is still up for debate in my eyes. I think potentially one that it could have really gone the other way. And, and there's a case to be made for a penalty there for me anyway. Um, Brighton, I suggested it earlier, they have impressed in terms of XG for the most part this season. Um, that certainly wasn't the case against Leicester, but it's all well and good winning the XG battle in most of your games. I think Leicester was only the second or third time that they've actually lost according to XG, but that's not really going to make a blind bit of difference come May if they're still in the position they are in or potentially even worse. If they lose this one, Fulham will overtake them and the, the gap to Arsenal and, and the team sort of around them could begin to open up. One thing in their favour, though, is um, that the market thinks of this game is is a pretty close one with Brighton as the road favourites at 2.58. Their odds are suggesting a 38% chance of the win. Fulham have a 33% chance with odds of 2.94 and the draw is given 29% chance at 3.40. It, it also looks to be a low scoring game, according to the market, with a, a lower goes total um, with a, a 2.2 and 2.5, sorry, and a, and a slight lean towards the over. But the, the mark is a little bit lower than the average or what we'd expect. So, Jake, Brighton, we, we keep giving them chances. We keep talking them up. They really disappointed at the weekend. Do you reckon they're going to be good value for a win here? Uh, they need to win, <laughs> looking at the table. Uh, you know, There's only so long that you can play well and uh, and not get the wins before ultimately the confidence gets drained and, and you start performing at a, a you know, much worse level. And if they lose to Fulham, they actually drop into the, uh, or they, they could potentially drop into the bottom three, depending on Burnley's results. So it's, it's a crucial game really for them. And, um, you know, they were well beaten by Leicester, weren't they, at uh, the weekend. And <clears throat> yeah, the manner of that defeat was slightly concerning, um, especially off the back of what was a decent performance against Southampton. But while we, while we, you know, you can talk about this Brighton team and the fact that they are 16th and say we're just 10 points is worth just, you know, just having a look at the fixture list. They've not had it easy. They played Chelsea, Man United. They've already played at Everton, at Tottenham. Uh, they played at Villa as well, who are flying high. They played Liverpool and Southampton, who are both um, absolutely top four, and Leicester, who are also in the top four. So they've had a really difficult opening schedule, and this is probably one of the first games in which. Um, of the season in which they're probably expected to get a win. Fulham impressed me against Liverpool. Uh, the setup was really good. The way in which they, uh, they've they now switched to a, a back five with just pure energy all over the field. I think it's it's really, really good to watch. Uh, Lamina and Anguissa in midfield, I thought were excellent. The way that they just patrolled that midfield and, um, you know, just outran Liverpool for that first half in particular. Luchman and, and Loftus-Cheek look a real threat. Uh, the fullbacks look really good as well. Reed and Robinson getting up and down. So I, I like what Scott Parker's done. I think he deserves a bit of credit for um, turning that Fulham team in from a team that looks certain to be relegated to a team that actually looks like it's got a fighting chance now. Um, it's a big game for them as well. Obviously, won two of the last six, picked up a good draw against Liverpool at home in front of home fans. So um, yeah, I, I think this could be a, this has a potential to be a really good game. I know it's probably going to be. Um, you know, tightly four, and there's a lot on the line. But looking at these, the processes of these two teams, and Fulham in particular, defensively have, have been pretty poor on the whole. But Brighton haven't been much better themselves. So uh, I'm expecting goals, and that's the main angle for this. The market's got this price pretty much spot on. Brighton are 38% favourites, uh, Fulham at 35%, the draw 27% on the model, um, mainly because we're expecting more goals than what the market is. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm going to go for with this. Over two and a half goals. The, I think the market is around 44, 45% chance of over 2.5 and, and the model is suggesting a 48% chance. So there is a small bit of value in getting on, on board with over two and a half, which is something I can see happening between two teams that um, will probably be you know 
play to win this match as opposed to avoid a, a defeat. And then we've got Liverpool versus Tottenham and, and Pinnacle's highlight game here. Obviously easy to see why and a, a good chance for Pinnacle to maybe make some some additional ground on that that prediction challenge for this week. Um, it is first against second in the table. A chance for, for one of the two of them to actually get a lead because they're joint, joint on points at the moment. Um, albeit obviously that could be just a, a one point lead depending on how other results go. Both of them missed the chance to have an outright lead with 1-1 with one, one draws at the weekend, both in games that they would have really expected to win. Spurs drew 1-1 one, one with Palace. Liverpool, as, we, as we've just said, drew 1-1 one, one with Fulham. Both probably fair results, maybe, I think you, you could be pushed to say when you we look at things on the face of it. But Liverpool's certainly the more frustrated of the two in terms of the performance they put in. If they give the the type of chances that they gave to Fulham against Tottenham, I'm sure the likes of Harry Kane and and Hung Min Son will will likely punish them. However, I'm not sure how much attacking we're actually going to see from Spurs. They've they've shown a tendency to be very defensive um, and and sort of defence first in the big games so far this season. And you can't really blame them. It's obviously worked well for them in games against Manchester City and Chelsea. Um, the betting market do have Liverpool as the favourites for this. There, there are odds of one point eight zero six. Tottenham are four point six five, and the draw is three point nine two. Um, in percentage terms, that's fifty four percent for Liverpool, twenty one percent for Tottenham, and twenty five percent for the draw. Are the odds in line with the InfoGoal model, Jake? Is there is there value here? And, and most importantly, where where are you going for the all important prediction? Uh, going for Liverpool win, I think that the price available for for the Reds to actually get a victory at Anfield is just too good to turn down. Um, how often do you get Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp at around uh, you know one point eight to get the victory at Anfield? Um, you don't effectively. Uh, the the price against um, I think it was Leicester in which Liverpool played with a skeleton squad um, and they went off around even money. That was just free money. Uh, and I've, I've got no reason to think this won't be something similar. It's going to be a much tougher game, obviously. Um, Tottenham will set up in that vintage or what, what we have now seen as a, as a back six with Hoiberg and Sissoko slotted in between the fullbacks just for extra protection. Um, and then I think, you know, four players in front just sat again doing, um, waiting to counter-attack. And, and I think, that will cause quite a few teams problems. We saw it with Chelsea. We saw it with Arsenal. We saw it with Manchester City. I just think this Liverpool team are a little bit cuter um, in and around the area. And I think that this Liverpool team are more uh, a better place to actually break this Tottenham team down and deal with the counter-attacking threat. So I think Liverpool will win. I think they're, they're a good price to do so as well. We're giving them a 62% chance of getting the victory, which is... Um, one point price of one point six, which is obviously represents a huge chunk of value there. And you know, although they were disappointing against Fulham, I do think that I hope anyway, for the sake of this bet, that they maybe had one eye on this game um, and sort of took their eye off the ball for the Fulham match, thinking that it would be an easy walkover victory. Um, but yeah, that you know, they've got players coming back to fitness, the likes of Trent Alexander Arnold's back in the team. Uh, Matip, who got pulled at half-time, was potentially just being rested for this game. He might have got just felt something a little bit and then um, you know, got hooked with this game being in, uh, in mind of Jurgen Klopp. Diogo Jota's a big miss. He offers them um, you know, something completely different in that front three. But all in all, I do think that this Liverpool team are well-placed to, to beat a Tottenham team that will sit in a deep-line block and uh, an attempt to come away from Anfield with a draw. So... Liverpool to get the victory. Um, I think that that's the underlying numbers stack uh, or point to that as well. You look at Anfield this season, Liverpool are averaging 2.69 expected goals for per game, allowing 0.97 expected goals against per game, which is by far and away the best process, um, home process in the Premier League. And, and away from home Spurs, while they have picked up good results and um, you know quite a lot of clean sheets, the process isn't actually that good. 1.68 expected goals for, 1.37 expected goals against per game. So, they do still give up chances on the road, do Tottenham, um, and they don't create at the same rate as what they do in, in attack, which is you know pretty obvious to say. Um, based on expected goal difference away from home, Manchester United, West Ham, Chelsea, Leicester, Villa, Man City have all been better on the road than Tottenham this season, whereas the same can't be said for Liverpool, who boasts an expected goal difference at home of 10.3, which is 
comfortably clear of uh, Chelsea and then surprisingly Brighton in third. So, um, yeah, all, all all this to me points to towards a Liverpool win. Um, in terms of the goal line, it's always a tough one to to call with Mourinho being involved. Um, you know, he's like I said before, more than happy to take a nil-nil draw here as he did at Chelsea um, and roll on to the next game. But I don't know. I just think if Liverpool get get the first goal, that dynamic of the game completely changes and Tottenham do have to open up a little bit and we could see a bit more of a uh, of an attacking game. So over two and a half is also a, a strong value play according to the model. That is, um, in my opinion, dependent on Liverpool getting the first goal. If, if Spurs score first, I can see it being a very frustrating game for Liverpool and potentially a, a, a 1-1 draw or maybe even a, an away win. I think the first goal is crucial, but Liverpool have the firepower that if they do go 1-0 down, that, that you you know they, they can turn that game around. You look at Arsenal went to Anfield early in the in the season and they went 1-0 up. Um, Liverpool roared in a, a comfortable 3-1 victory in the end. So, um, yeah, it's a fascinating game. It's, it's going to be attack versus defence for the most part. And um, I think that this on this occasion, attack will, will come out on top. Well, it's certainly interesting to hear that the the over 2.5 could potentially be valued from an info goal perspective because Pinnacle's actually going the opposite and going with the under 2.5 for the prediction in this one. And it's it's clearly based around the game plan from Mourinho and, and the fact that they are going to most likely go there and, and play for a draw. And if anyone's going to have the ability to break them down, you would you would suggest it's, it's Liverpool, but... Others have tried, others have failed. So under 2.5 is, is what Pinnacle's going to go with for the prediction in this one. And then we'll go on to West Ham versus Crystal Palace. And we talked about Palace holding out against Tottenham. Their keeper really kept them in that one. And I think the, the one big chance late on was enough to get Palace the point. But it really was quite dominant from Spurs for the most part. West Ham themselves did enough to, to deserve the win against Leeds. And, and that's what they got. Outside of the penalty, I think it was a, another decent performance and it was just sort of low-quality chances, shots from distance that, that Leeds gave Leeds any really sort of hope of scoring. Um, West Ham created a fair amount themselves. They're, they're still without Mikel Antonio, but they are getting the job done and, and maintaining a, a pretty strong start for them, certainly the strongest we've seen for a good couple of years now anyway. Um, it's another test for them here. I think it's a game that they'll probably have to break Crystal Palace down and, and also deal with the threat of Zaha and Eze on the counter-attack. They're favourites to get the win, priced at 2.13, so a 46% chance for them to get three points. Palace have a 26% win probability at 3.77, um, and the draw is 28% with odds of 3.48. Now, it's, it's certainly a better West Ham side than we saw at this stage last season, Jake, but the question is, are they good enough and are they worth the short price of 2.13 against Palace here? Um, yes, I think they are. Um, I think the price is spot on, actually. I think the, the market's done a good job of pricing this one up. The, the model's got it pretty much the same, around a 47% chance of a West Ham win. Um, and yeah, I think that they're, they're well value, good value for that that price as well. They've, they've played really well at the start of this season. Um, deserve victory against Leeds. And in fact, when you look at their results, there's only the only defeats that they faced have come against Manchester United, Liverpool, um, Arsenal, and then that first game against Newcastle. So they, they don't lose to, you know, you're also runs, if you like. Having said that, Arsenal now fill that category. Um, but, you know, at the time of playing Arsenal, they were playing well themselves and, and started the season well. So they, they don't lose to anybody, do West Ham, and, and their underlying processes. Um, is really impressive and, and it definitely deserves some respect. Uh, 1.64 expected goals per game, 1.44 expected goals against per game. So, um, yeah, they, they are a good team and they are deserving of their place, in the, especially in the top half. Maybe not so much the top six, but um, yeah, it's, it's been a really positive start from a, a very difficult schedule for, for West Ham, but they've not got a great recent record against Crystal Palace. Um, Palace seem to have their number. Um, I think West Ham have only won one of the last seven meetings of these two teams. Um, so, you know, maybe that short price could be something that we could attack. But I think based on underlying process, you have to get on board with West Ham at the moment. They're playing so well. Um, and they're, they're more importantly being quite difficult not to crack as well, which is, um, you know, doesn't really bode well for Crystal Palace, but it does lend itself to a, a an under two and a half bet, which is what I'm going to put up for this one. 
there, there isn't too much value available um, in the under 2.5 price, but the model um, does think that under two and a half is by far the, the most likely um, outcome in the goal goal line. And Crystal Palace themselves limited Spurs, I thought, very well. You mentioned Gaeta made a couple of big saves, but they were from low probability efforts. Um, I think Crystal Palace would take that all day long. Um, 1.3 expected goals four per game is what they're creating. So they're not exactly among uh, the, the league's best attacking teams. Bottom seven in terms of that that metric. So, yeah, I think it's been a competitive game. Um, I think West Ham will probably sneak a, a 1-0 or a 2-0 win uh, with under two and a half being the, the main play. And then we've got Aston Villa versus Burnley and two teams here that got themselves 1-0 away wins at the weekend. Both probably quite fortunate to do so in, in different circumstances. Villa's came from a, a 94th minute penalty after a bit of pressure from Wolves while Nick Pope really kept Burnley in it early on before Granite Xhaka saw red. Aubameyang put the ball in his own net. Insert your own jokes there for that one. Um, Burnley aren't, they're not pretty, but they know how to get the job done. Um, they're, they're rivaling rule, uh, West Brom when it comes to the the worst attacking process in the league. A, a lot of games have, I mean, they've, they've had a few games without their main attacking players, but really we, we know how they play. It's no surprise to see them basically build from a strong defensive foundation, often try and nick a game, but they, they are capable of also creating chances. We just haven't seen much of it so far this season. It's one where, I mean, I'm quite intrigued to see how this game goes. It's, it's, it's I mean, Jack Grealish is, is so central to what Villa do and it's going to be interesting to see how he performs and, and whether he's able to really unlock the defence because a lot of Villa's work is is likely to go through him. Um, the market, once again, quite heavily against Burnley. They're priced at 4.98, so just a 20% chance of the win for them. Aston Villa are 1.746, which gives them a 56% win probability. And you can get 3.99 on the draw, which is 24%. Um, interesting to see some money for the over 2.5 in this. So betters maybe think that Villa are going to be able to break through the Burnley defence. What do you think, Jake? Are you, are you going to continue to take Burnley? Or, or is this one maybe where the odds are fair? No, this is another opportunity to get on side with Burnley, I think. Um Extremely surprised to see Villa odds on. I know they've been they've been impressive, and I've been banging their drum for a for a while since well, ever since post lockdown, where they, they they made that transition from um, being a you know gung ho attacking team to being a little bit more astute. But yeah, this this price is a little bit baffling to me. I think somewhere around forty five percent chance of winning. Um, odds of around maybe two point two would be a fairer reflection of this. I think Burnley again are being um, underestimated by the market. Whether that just be because the market doesn't rate them, or or they are, it's just just an unfashionable team to back, I guess. But you know, you look at the last five matches, Burnley. They've only lost once in that time, and that came against Manchester City. And what is their their yearly hammering at the Etihad? Um, but either side of that, they played the likes of Brighton, Crystal Palace, Everton, Arsenal. They've come away unscathed, really. They've picked up um, eight points from those four matches, and um, I, th- I think that they're, they're they're well placed to cause this Villa team some real problems. Um, Villa themselves haven't really been that good at home so far this season. I think they've they've picked up or they've, they've won just two out of five. They've lost three um, in that time. I think the only victories have come against Sheffield United, who are obviously bottom of the table, and that that really fluky win over Liverpool. Sorry, fluky scoreline over Liverpool. The result, uh, the, the win was deserved. Um, but they've they've lost to the likes of Leeds, Southampton, Brighton. Um, so you know that will give Burnley plenty of confidence that they can go there and get a result. And um, you know you, you mentioned there Burnley aren't exactly um, a, a strong attacking team. I think, um, like you said, only only West Brom uh, have been worse in attack so far this season. They've, they've I think Burnley nine point eight expected goals created in eleven matches, but defensively they remain they remain extremely tight. Um, from a big chance perspective, there's uh, there's only well. Tottenham, Manchester United, Chelsea, uh, Manchester City, Newcastle, and Villa, who've conceded fewer non-penalty big chances than Burnley this season, and um, you know that that to me is is shows you where that Burnley team is really. They're they're, they're a team that, that cling on, um, they rely on some good saves and some good blocks um, because they're a well-organized unit, and I, I do think that this poses a much more difficult test, in my opinion, than the Arsenal game because this Villa team are. Uh, a much better attacking team than Arsenal. They've got much better individual players um, that can beat a man, that can create. 
Um, and I think they're a, they're a well organised team. They're a, they're a much better all round team than the likes of uh, of your Arsenal's and your Crystal Palace, who aren't Burnley have beaten recently. So it's going to be a big test for Burnley. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them go and get a result. And I do think they are worth um, getting on side again here. Um, I think the double chance. I think you can back that around um, even money. Um, so you know, to me. That that's the only way to play this one. I think the goal line is um, sorry, Burnley or the draw is, is around two point two on Pinnacle, which I think is a, another really good price. Um, and the goal line is is again priced up pretty pretty accurately. You said there's been money for the overs. Um, I'd probably side the other way, I'd, I, especially where, whenever Burnley are involved, you have to look at the under two and a half um, with you know serious consideration. And uh, if the if the goal line continues to move and, and the money continues to come for the overs. Under two and a half will definitely become a um, a value selection, but yeah. Although Villa have been really impressive and, and their underlying numbers are fantastic, I, I do think that there is value in, in backing Burnley to avoid defeat. And the, the Infocom model calculates a forty percent chance of a Villa win, so you, you know you're getting a fourteen percent margin there, which is um, it's just huge and, and simply can't be ignored. Well, in a, a world of uncertainty and unknowns, Jake backing binary Burnley. I'm glad there's some some consistency <laughs> in life. Um, Let's get on to Sheffield United versus Manchester United. Last but not least, our, our final fixture of game week 13. Now, the Sheffield United struggles obviously continue. And I know you part of you must enjoy it being a Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday fan, Jake. But it is, it's really disappointing to see after a good season that they had last year. I think confidence is now beginning to play a part as well. Southampton just breezed past them in that 3-0 win. And I don't even think Sheffield United had a shot on target in that. and. Similarly, it was, it was, I mean, it wasn't too boring to watch because of how good Southampton were, but it was similar to the Manchester United performance in, in against City where they rarely threatened the Manchester City goal as well. I mean, it's still no win for Sheffield United. It's, it's difficult to find anything really positive for them. Still, the doubters are out for Manchester United. But again, you, you look at the table, you look at the actual facts and figures to it. They, they, they're still above Manchester City. They win their game in hand. They're in the top four and just a couple of points off Liverpool and Spurs at the top. Um, I think they'll be happy with the draw from the derby, but I mean, it's one of those ones that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to want a big performance soon to ease the the pressure after jump, jump, dropping out of the Champions League. Um, the performances haven't really been that great, despite how things are still kind of looking okay in the league for them. Um in terms of the odds that we've got, we've got Sheffield United at 7.26, the draw at 4.73, West uh, Manchester United fairly short at 1.478. I think that's to be expected in this fixture. Um, with percentages, that's 13 or 14% on Sheffield United, 21% on the draw, and around about 65-66% for Manchester United. So, Last one of the game week, Jake. Where are you going in terms of the value in this one? Is it is it one x two or is it more so the overs or the the goals markets? Yeah, be, be looking for the goals market for a um, for the value, but it is really hard to to side against Manchester United in this game. I mean, their um, you know their away form has been absolutely stunning under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, especially recently. I think they've won nine or maybe ten uh, away Premier League games in a row, which is an unbelievable record um, and. You know, this is a decent opponent for them. Sheffield United are completely bereft of confidence. Um, they looked extremely poor and, and clueless against she- uh, Southampton, created just 0.27 expected goals. Prior to that, just 0.3 against Leicester. Um, but, you know, th- you, there's a caveat in there that, that you look at the results, especially the last six, and you think, wow, lost six in a row. They played Man City, Chelsea, Leicester and Southampton, who, you know, obviously... Leicester, Southampton, Chelsea currently sit in the top five. Manchester City, we expect to finish around, um, you know, the first or second. So it's been a tough run of fixtures. They've also faced West Ham in that time as well. So they've played teams that are in form, um, that are playing well, and, and obviously they're not playing well at all. They're, they're really struggling, and, and that's shown in their underlying numbers, which have completely nosedived from last season. Um, overall, this season they've averaged one point one expected goals for per game. That's down from about one point four last season. Uh, and against 1.8 expected goals against, and uh, that's up from about 1.4 again. Um, so they, you know, they are playing at a much worse level. Uh, don't know what's happened there. Don't, you know, maybe they, they've just been found out. The um, the opposition have, have been doing 
a lot more homework on how to stop them and playing. Um, they are missing key players as well, which is, is a bit of a caveat too. But um, yeah, they're, they're not in a good place. And the, the last thing you want is, a, is another team from uh, the so-called big six that, you know, that, that, that aren't playing that badly. I mean, apart from the Champions League um, defeats against PSG and, and RB Leipzig, it's, it's not been a bad start to the season for, for Manchester United from a results standpoint anyway. They're um, really, really impressive against West Ham after that dubious goal was was given. The same against Southampton um, when after going 2-0 down. Uh, that's the only issue I have with them really is the fact that they need to go behind to start playing and um, it'd be interesting to see if Sheffield United can get in front. If they can get in front, can they hold on? But yeah, I think Manchester United's price is just a little bit too short for me at, um, in this game. I still think, I mean, it's looking increasingly unlikely that Sheffield United are going to stay up this season, one point from 12 matches. Um, but they, they need to get a win sooner or later if they're to have any chance. I don't think that win's going to come here. Um, I think this could be quite a, uh, not a mauling, but I think this could be quite a high-scoring Manchester United win uh, with the over two and a half being the value play. We're at 53% chance of overs. Market's around 51%. So, over two and a half goals is where we're going with this one. And um, I, th- I think it's a big game for both. If Manchester United go to Sheffield United and don't get a win, then uh, all of a sudden your question marks are being raised again about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and whether he's the right man for the job. And uh, likewise, Sheffield United just need points. Well, that's it. That's our, our midweek fixtures done. We will be back again later this week to cover game week 14 and, and all the weekend's action as well. But until then, thanks for coming on, Jake. And, and thanks for helping our listeners find value in the markets. Great analysis as always. Cheers, Ben. Speak later in the week. And thank you to everyone for listening. Remember to visit infogold.net, download the Infogold app on iOS and Android and follow at Infogold app on Twitter if you want to take your own analysis a little bit further. There's also plenty of help on offer from Pinnacle in terms of articles, videos and other podcasts. So follow at Pinnacle on Twitter and visit the betting resources section of pinnacle.com to find out more about that. Best of luck with any bets for this week and remember to always gamble responsibly.